1: Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. I am your host, Alex Score. I'm here back again for the... Man, he wasn't here last time. He's here again. Lance, luxury division psycho of Pella. Pella owns him, his house, because they have the windows in there. So I think they have legal deed to your house. Their shirt is on you, so they own you. Several of the houses we have going up right now under construction have Pella windows going into them. I just had a meeting with a window installer, and we had a cutout of the Pella, you know, the corner. Yep. And he was like, oh, we can do this. We can install it this way, this way, this way. So like it was super helpful. Beautiful. Right there. But before doing that, that meeting was about building a house. Mm-hmm. And what's awesome about it, it's going to be very cool. Not only do we harp on all the time as uh, be, going from architect to builder, architect to contractor, help essentially extend your safety net, extend how much you'll get revenue coming in. That's a huge, huge thing. It also helps you close general architectural clients, because all the time when people say, Hey, do, you know, is this design build? I go, no, it's architecture first. And then I explain the process that, Hey, we, we might not even build your house, you know, just depends on all these circumstances. Yep. Yep. But what we do do is take all that knowledge that we get from there and we apply it to every one of our architecture projects. So no matter what you get a leg up and like, I feel like that helps immensely. If you want to learn how we did it, go to architectsguide2.com, architectsguideto.com Check it out. As architecture and
2: design demand increases towards pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your firm keeping up? Arcat is here to help. Arcat.com offers several free, free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours. Get work done faster. Use Arcat's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. Arcat.com. Also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification information, outlines, and short-form specification generation, and more. ARCAT.com is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity and get more projects done. That's ARCAT.com. ARCAT.com. That's ARCAT.com. Check those guys out. They support the podcast, which helps us support you guys. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by Pella Luxury. Experience, a collection of brands that brings your creative vision to life. The luxury division of Pella is a world-class collection of brands including Duratherm, Riley, and Benelli, all pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. During this holiday season, we know how important it is to step back and spend time in... In gratitude, we appreciate all our clients trusting us with their projects in the record-breaking year. We are excited and ready to take on the new year. The luxury division of Pella doesn't push beyond the limits. They set them. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. That's PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. Check them out. They support us and help us support you. Al Gore, it's back to me, isn't it?
1: Yes. You got a website, Denver. Awesome. Planning and zoning.
2: Yep. So, uh pulling this up here on YouTube if you're tuning in that way um, basically Denver uh, where we do a lot of business um, everything from small remodels all the way up to uh, uh, multi multi-fam huge multifamily family developments um, with some with commercial mix in there and uh, what Denver did which blew my mind was <clears throat> they put out average plan review times I don't know if the city you guys are operating in uh, has done that but it is quite telling. And I think also super helpful so that you can show clients. That's probably the biggest thing I think to take away from this. So um, if you're, if the city you're operating in hasn't done this, I would highly recommend that you uh, take a look at it. So basically I'm on denvergov.org. Um, and, and if you go and then forward slash like government, forward slash agencies, departments, offices, blah, blah, blah. But I think if you just Googled average plan review times, Denver, uh, you will be able to find this. So, what i've got pulled up is uh, it's showing us so there's there's two review that two reviews that they've uh, done done the research on basically and i was taking a look on the screen too mm-hmm. for a ma- major residential project their average so examples like new new homes additions over 400 square feet or larger landmark projects that that's us that's kind of our one of our bread and butter pieces of work that we do right yeah the initial review once we submit Takes them an average of four point five weeks. Um, their volume is that they're usually that at any given time is there. There's about one hundred and forty four projects in the yeah. queue. Once we once we address all their comments, get the drawings back into the building department with the letter, then um, their resubmittal time, uh, their resubmittal review time took an average of three point seven weeks. Right?
1: Don't you think that that's a low number of volume for additions over 400 square feet and larger for a, for a giant city like denver yeah i mean
2: relatively speaking for like sure. mid, midwest wise it's one of the bigger cities right rocky mountain west doesn't that seem like a low number it seems like a very low number yeah. so what that translates to is it takes just to get past the first two rounds of review and oftentimes i would say majority of our projects at this point especially on the single family residential side are are taking only two reviews um, i don't know if you can comment on that out because we it seems like my side my the folks i'm working with at the, our office mostly are doing
1: most of the single families in Denver. I think you do a, right. a couple um, um mine are mostly multifamily, yeah. and those take an average of three denver um it was taken five or six and uh lakewood was three long months three M- months no
2: review review reviews yeah yeah um so basically an average of eight point two weeks um for for their review times on the first and the second uh submittals and here i thought what was interesting was like so then then they have a little box up here it says what percentage were they on time with whatever metric they're using for on time they didn't even put a number in there i i think probably somewhere (sighs) it says they have 30 days or 45 days to get back something you know yeah so that's probably what they're using Uh, this, but then the second, then, then on their second resubmittal, they said they were on time 13 13 percent of the time. So, uh, they're, they're slow, you know, they're not meeting their target dates. I know they have a pretty high turnover. I I am really happy that they actually finally gave us some kind of data. But, uh, the lesson here again is I think is if you can push the city you're working in or, or cities to do something like this, to, to spend the money, to do some kind of metric, how, you don't even know how helpful this has been to quell like up the concerns of of upset clients that really it's our word against the city of denver you know like yep. about saying how long it takes to do it and once they see it from the horse's mouth I mean what i don't know what
1: else i could give you as, also, as, a, as a as a client i don't know how much of it's skewed to i love this because it it's getting into what you can do to improve it But before I say that, like, okay, what if a 400 squeeze, what if there's 300 small additions in this category and 12 large projects and those 12 large projects blow it and they're hitting everything on the under? Um, Go to the next slide, Lance. This one? Yep. Yep. So in the last 30 days, the average, okay, this is intermediate commercial
2: projects. Yeah, but I can can do the drop down. Just stay with uh, major residential? Is that what you want to do? Yeah, here we go.
1: Okay, last 30 days. um, It was approved in 172 days. This includes the time it takes applicants to make plan revisions as well as time for the city. So if you spend six months developing it and then 172 days. So about 5.7 months. About six months. So it's about a year-long process. Again, that's the average. I would say their classification of major residential projects, because that could be six months, literally for fair four hundred square foot addition. Because go to the next slide, please. Um, it took for fifty-four site development review plants an average of four review cycles. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, I, I guess. And, and what, what I think Lance is getting to, too, and I was talking to the staff about was they're asking what the solution was, right? Because the solution we ha- to this problem. Yes. Just getting it faster. Okay. Yep. Boulder and Frederick yep. have completely different approaches mm-hmm. and they both are going absolutely terrible. Okay. Because the first thing is, like, give more leniency to the staff right doesn't that make sense like let them choose like hey you're close to the standard they are they going to say yes or no like trust in them to make why or more authority
2: yes executive decision making uh, ability yes
1: because essentially you can't have a document comprehensive enough to come up with everything well that doesn't work well in boulder because boulder says hey you're not hitting the the lighting standard that we need, you, you need to come back and they won't tell you what you need to hit until like literally the fourth communication. And we're like, holy cow, you want us to totally redesign this. We had no idea because we had no idea what the standard was because it's kind of up to you, right? Same thing with Boulder. Hey, your roofing is reflecting too much. How much is too much? Remember this? (laughs) Like, so it it just leads to a quagmire and then Frederick is, Hey, here's our standards. They're simple, whatever. We know that they are terrible, but you have to meet the standards and here's the standard, Mm -hmm. right? And the only thing we could come up with when we were talking was essentially like the incentive structure is all wrong because in both cases, essentially what's happening is you don't get, there's no incentives for you to say yes, because all you can do is get criticism. Like your job is already to do, get projects through this, right? So like, you're not going to get extra credit. getting more projects through it you're only gonna get negative if if you miss something if something gets goes wrong something gets built out of code right so in either way that they're doing it the only thing you have to do well the only way i can see is changing the incentive structure more to capitalism (laughs) 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 but it but it could come from the top like look at these review times say hey i'm the leader of uh whatever department this is our goal is to look at the regulations. Mm-hmm. If anything, it meets or exceeds it or does better. Your goal is to get them through the process smoothly and find solutions. And that's how you will be. Uh, that's, that's literally how your job performance will be based. If you make a decision that's outside the codes, but it's a good decision, I have your back too. If people come and start yelling about, hey, this house is doing this, this house, they can come talk to me because I have your back. I want you to go, 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 yeah. go. Because we are in a housing crisis. So just know your whole goal is to serve them and get them through the process. And I have your back. Yeah. But it's not that. It's it's literally to limit. Somehow they think they're going to limit critiques from NIMBY if they have this document. And I don't think they're limiting. If you looked at that metric, mm-hmm. because that's what they're going for is mm-hmm. to say, hey, look, it says in our code that they can do it or can't do it. You aren't actually solving the problems of NIMBY people coming yelling at you. So they're going to come and yell at you anyways. Regardless. So I think they have to change the the structure of like, there needs to be a shield for yes. all the planners and that shield is maybe the boss yep. and maybe you hire a guy. And then he, <laughs> what's funny is like they're going to go to city council. His goal is to go to city council and tell them what we're doing and say, Hey, I'm giving them authority to make the right decisions. And to get this get this through. Because what is what is the bigger concern? A NIMBY yapping in your ear or getting housing so that we don't have this crazy glut in stocks? Yeah. And if you can't take that NIP in the ear, then this is not going to go this well. Is, yeah. Because this is, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, take a look at that. I, th- I thought people would find that interesting. It'd be, I, I would be interested to hear if any other listeners have their cities have done, the cities they operate in, have done similar studies to this. Um, I'm telling you, we have just since we got this last week uh, because we're on this mailing list from Denver now, <clears throat> whenever they have a code update or something like that. And uh, we have been sending it out like wildfire over to clients. They're like, because we get, you know, we'll get like the first round of comments back. And sure enough, you know, and, and fair enough. Why, why wouldn't you want to know? You're spending all this money on an architect, builders, you're planning your life around a, a giant major renovation. You deserve to know uh, from the entities you're paying all these taxes to. <clears throat> what, what, what timelines you're going to expect. So, so it's been super helpful for us. Um, but yeah. Okay. Uh, this is going, this is technically the last, uh, Friday edition of inside the firm for the year 2021. So I wanted to, cause I will be out, Alex will be out. We're going to enjoy ourselves and, and family and all that. Um, so what I wanted to do is I kind of wanted to have a recap of, uh, two, two different things, right? Um, Basically, if you're a business owner, uh, even if you're a sole proprietor, you understand that you need profit to maintain your business. Profit is the lifeblood of your business. It helps you through the hard times, it allows you to expand, like it is the juice that keeps everything going. And I know um, another some other uh, some of the other podcasts you probably listen to like like that are similar to this show, Entree Architect Business of Architecture. They they've went through what is a profit, like what kind of profit margin should you do? or should you should you be aiming for. And I kind of wanted to demystify it. And then sure. get Al's opinion about it too and what he thinks. Um and then we're going to kind of end with okay, once you've once you have maybe you've done the metric and hopefully you're using some kind of software, QuickBooks, Freshbooks, some some software of accounting, you have good books on on hand so that you can re- in real time see how much cash flow is coming in, how much cash flow is coming out. Uh What's really interesting about QuickBooks is, um, we, so we use QuickBooks, and it's—I don't know if you notice this, but like, maybe I'll show you after the podcast, uh, after we get done recording—is like it projects your, your how much money it thinks you're going to have coming in based on how you're billing that month. Nice, smart. I'll, I'll show you twenty twenty.
1: So, it's twenty twenty, isn't it? Twenty twenty one. Wow. Twenty
2: twenty one. And so, like for instance, for us, we we spiked. We had a big spike around May, and then we kind of trended down with billables. And then at the end of the year, I can see basically starting October. Uh, see, so that's a, a September, October, November. We we hit like a little sort of a, a lull in in terms of it was just kind of steady. Like each steady. month was was very close percentage wise. I would say, honestly, like one to three percent of gross billable m- m- dollars we all, they were all, it was like, you know, I'm just going to throw out a number. So a million dollars. We built out a million dollars each yeah, month. We did. We, we did not. But you know what I'm saying? Like it was like a million, a million and a thousand, a million and 10,000. It, it was very close. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then we, we, and then in December this last month, we had, uh, we sent out a pretty big bill sort of uh, around the second week and QuickBooks picked that up and they were like, oh, it looks like you're projected to do more. And we kind of are. So it'll be interested to see if what their projection is real or not. Anyway, mm. so what should your profit margin be if you're running a service-based business? I found a very good article here that I've got up on the screen. Um, and I kind of just want to cut to the chase yeah, about we- where you should be. So what is a good profit margin? And, and if Al agrees, maybe he agrees, maybe he doesn't. So, you may, so from the article, um, it's corporatefinanceinstitute.com. You may be asking yourself, what is a good profit margin? A good margin will vary considerably by industry, but as a general rule of thumb, a 10% net profit margin is considered average. A 20% margin is considered high or good, and a 5% margin is low. Again, these guidelines w- vary widely by industry and company size and can be impacted by a variety of other factors. Al, Gore.
1: Al Reacts. Okay, I think I think we want to be high or good. You aim for 20 Mm-hmm. You don't panic at 10. You reassess and how to get up at five. You go, what's going on? Yes. What is happening? This is not yes. sustainable.
2: I, and exactly. So like that last sentence says in this three sentence paragraph, you know, they said, again, these guidelines vary widely by industry and company size and can be impacted by a variety of other factors. So you, plus every business is super unique. You know, exactly what it's going to take for you to maintain the right amount of cash flow and profitability and and planning ahead and all that good stuff. But I would agree. So let's just, let's just call it the five 10 and 20 rule and we'll make it up today on the podcast. If you're only hitting 5% margins, alarm bells, the big alarm bells reassessment taking it like, honestly, if you're an, if you're an owner and maybe you only have one or two employees and this is your first year with one or two employees, maybe you do need to look at, do you need to reassess your own salary? Because in, you know, in reality, since you're, you're the primary shareholder of the company, you should really be looking at trying to maximize the profit because then you take a big chunk of cheese at the
1: end in dividends. Yeah. In dividends. And your dividends come out of your profits, not beforehand, because it's a dividend of of what the company made. And you don't take that out of profits because you don't take dividends more than profit. It's not, an, it's not, it's weird. It's not an expense. Yeah. It's like the reward. And here's and
2: I mean you know the first 5 years of 5 to 7 years of F9 was just like survive 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 grow as much as you can um get your name out there build credibility build a portfolio and now we're sort of in this um I would say post adolescent in like the first parts of the adult phase of of, of F9 uh being that it's 2021 we started in 2009 ish 10 ish so over 10 years now uh, when it comes to bonuses, I think our kind of rule of thumb that we've made up too, if anybody's wondering like, when should I give my employees bonuses? For us, it's we got to hit 10%. And then yeah. you get the, we, we sort of do some some suggested and promised bonuses when we do contract negotiations with folks at the firm. And then, uh, if we, but if you get to 20%, we're not saying it, it. your bonus in that, like say next year we hit 20% wouldn't be double. It might even be more than that.
1: Right. Exactly. Because all from 10 to 20% is all pure profit, you know? And, and a lot of that 10%, honestly, even though it's profit, it goes to, you got a billing cycle coming out. Yes. Next, literally in in a couple days or in two weeks, you um, have major expenses. You're trying to keep three months payroll, you know, all that other stuff. People get pregnant. People have COVID, you know? Um, So like you need to keep some, you need to build up those. Software. Insurance, new computers.
2: Alex, and I need new computers. Uh, Al needs a new uh, iPad. Uh, something breaks in F Nine HQ. We, you know, we need a new furnace. You know, you, the, the list keeps going on, right? So, which kind of brings me to the last uh, part of this part of the day show, which is Al already kind of prefaced here: is cash flow management. So, I've got another article pulled up. It's, uh, it's called Cash Flow Management: How Much Cash Should You Keep in Your Business? So, let's say you've got to the end of the year. You've assessed. You've had. A, you've had a. You've had a. Typical year. Hey, I made my ten percent profit. Hey, I was able to give out uh, our, our typical bonuses. Um, you know, maybe it's maybe some people do bonuses of like I did a pay period. Uh, sorry, a a paycheck equivalent. Some people do like I'm gonna do. A, maybe they go above and beyond. If you get to twenty percent, you do a whole month salary. That seems kind of like. As a baseline starting point as far as thinking, if you if sure. you are wondering like, well, what what should if you're listening and you're wondering, what should I be doing? I'd say that's kind of the swing yeah. to start thinking about bonuses. Um, but you went through all that and you're like, okay, now now it's just Lance and Al and they're looking at the bank account at the end of the year. How much cash do you decide to
1: keep in that account? Before we go further too, I like that rule. I think you could have that as a simple rule. I think you could also have the 5, 10, 20%. Ooh. Rule two yeah. and just apply to the same. Hey, if you're at, you know, 10% you can give out 10% bonuses. If it, uh, Like 10% of your salary? Yeah. 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 Well, well, actually, I would almost put it this way. Like, if you're profitable at 10%, you're probably giving out 5% bonus. Yeah. 5% of the salary. And then once you go above 10%, it's like, oh, can I give 10% bonus? Can I give 20% bonus? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But play with those numbers
2: and see where they get you. I mean, it's going to be some simple multiplication, right? So anyway, back to uh, your you've given out bonuses, you you've paid all your bills, and that last month is finally like, holy cow, we're finally truly in the black. We're seeing where we're at and everything. How much how much cash should you keep in your in your business? Um, so these guys have uh basically, I think like one two. Let's see there, they've got like seven seven like quick points. I wanted to run by Al and see what he thought. So number one, how much cash have you been using, right? So your monthly cash flow report. Again, if you're using QuickBooks or FreshBooks, I highly recommend that. Our QuickBooks is literally tied to our bank account and our credit card accounts now. So we are we are within a margin of error of like 0.05, sorry, 0.5%, like a half a half a percent of what our real cash flow is on hand compared to where our billables are. Like the flow charts are really, really good to see. I, I check on them almost every every day for sure every week uh just to see where we're at and kind of update al and everything um so anyway how much cash have you been using right so for example they give an example for example if you have 50% or 50000 cash received from sales and 30000 in expenditures then your monthly net burn is 20k this amount usually varies from month to month so it's probably better to use a 3 to 6 month average your gross burn only considers cash expenditures In our example that's 30,000. This is a more conservative metric since it is not since it does not assume any sales occur. Again, use this 3 or 6 months average. So, if you're if you if you've done good bookkeeping, you'll be able to see what your typical monthly cash burn is. You'll be able to see obviously like, oh, how much does a payroll period cost me. Mm-hmm. And it's so critical when you're first starting a new business like our construction firm. It's only been in existence for four years. Technically um, payroll has been there for two years. There we go. And is that what you're going to correct me on?
1: Well, I mean, it, when it smart starts so small. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's hard to count those years.
2: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But now that, so now we have a consistent payroll and it's like Alex and I know exactly pretty much how much, how much we need to make sure is in that account to make payroll happen. And then knowing, then, then you're able to plan, obviously, like, oh, now I'm, I'm, we're going to be done framing the first floor. We can bill out X amount of dollars. Great. That's going to bring in this amount of revenue. Looks like we're covered for the next uh, three months. You can breathe a little easier. That's going to help you really control, literally control your blood pressure <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on that whole thing. Uh, second thing is what stage is your business in? Um, so if you're, if you're, like we just talked about, if you're new versus you're old, it's going to be that. Uh, take that into consideration how much cash you plan to use too. So your budget and financial plan. So if you are forecasting, say for instance, you want to buy, your staff is urging you to buy a 3D uh, scanner, like ours wants to do at some point. We looked into it. It's like 25K. Um, That's a lot of cash. Yeah. And so how do you just, so like, so like if you're trying to plan, if you're trying, I think you need to know Okay, what is it going to take to get that extra 25K? So let's say in 2022, we actually make a little presentation for staff and show them like, if you guys really want this, here's what it means. You know, here's here's the target we got to get to in order to get,
1: be able to expect, you know. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's a good example for something you want to save as. Just that specific example too, how we simplified that equation is, oh, what is it to rent? How many times do we use it a month? Is that less like, and then... If we do that over two years, because if you think about it, pieces of equipment can last two years, three years, stuff like that. When's your break-even point, right? And then we just thought, man, in it was past two years before we broke even. Yep, correct. I, I feel like in two years, like these machines could almost be cut in half, costs, like simply due to Moore's law, Moore's law, and then more people adopting it, and and the potential, like if you do cut them in half, like way more people are gonna buy them. Way more people are gonna buy it. Yeah. It's gonna make sense. My leg's falling asleep, so I'm gonna do this show half standing. Okay. How, I don't know. How long will it take
2: to get more cash? Is number four right? So then you then you're also thinking about. So basically, you're juggling seven balls. That's what I'm trying to get with this. Here's one. You're like, juggling seven balls to really under. So there's no formula for it because it all comes down to your subjective business, and you need to take into consideration all seven of these factors and make an executive decision.
1: This number four, like if you're doing smaller projects with quicker turnaround and they pay quickly in like net 15, oh, maybe you don't have to have such huge cash reserves. If you're doing larger projects that take you larger to bill out and they're at net 30 or they say, no, we're at a bank. You have to be net 45 because with the way we process it and then get it, it's net 45. Then you need more money. Yeah. And what if you, what if you bill out, let's say you build out on December 1st and
2: you have a net 30 on, and it was one of the biggest bills you sent from the year, right? You could strategically plan. You could say, "Well, I know that. Let's say I have a hundred. Let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars in your account, but the bill that you sent uh, is seventy five thousand dollars, right? Sure. And each pay period is twenty five thousand dollars. Just yeah. throw it out there. Yeah. You, in theory, could drain that account. You could take seventy five thousand out. If it's yours, take the whole bonus, mm. and then wait until after the first of the year, put that check in there." And you're right back to where you need to be, right? Like that's a very simple way to think about it.
1: It rarely yep. works out that way, but rarely, yeah. We've been doing this for a while and it hasn't
2: aligned know. quite perfectly like
1: that. The what what
2: usually happens, uh, just to be completely honest with you, is we get we do a big push to get paid at the end of the year, and we get enough checks into where we go. Okay, cool, yeah. Now we're we're profitable. Here's all the bonuses. They're all dispersed. But there's not that additional next one coming where we can almost
1: drain the whole thing. Well, because then it's like, since it's not going to get that big, it's almost like, yeah, don't pay us for like four days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So uh, number five, how much cash do you need to keep in the business? Uh, so, you know, like literally just a scenario I gave you, like, like how, what are you comfortable, what's going to help you sleep at night keeping X amount of dollars, in on December 31st, 2021 or whatever year it is. Uh, number six, when is the best time to seek more cash? Right. Just like Alex said, maybe you bill and you're like, yeah if you don't get that to
1: me till the end of the year or and next year, you know, at the beginning of next year, it's okay. And then also, like you said, um, let's say for some reason you need a piece of equipment. It's not that you just want one, you need one. Right. And then, um, to get a credit line you know a bank credit line like you can balance that also that makes sense yeah. like sometimes you need tools sometimes you need a, a laser uh cutter or something like that yep and finally seven uh do i have too much or too little cash
2: right so if your company has excess cash beyond the forecasted needs then distribute it to owners and shareholders right put it in bitcoin yeah put the cash into a separate account um rather than make suboptimal decisions just to use up the excess cash that makes for smart cash flow management. So uh I think with the, on that last note, you should have some things that you you should have like I think a wish list. I'll give you some examples. Hmm. That's ready to go. So you're not just like uh compelled to spend that money and and then the the money becomes frivolously spent. I'm not I'm not saying we're like this but or anybody listing is like this, but why it might be good to have some things on the docket, right? So some things that we have like we've we've thrown around for a while. What about a big? Uh, what about a saving? What about a health savings account for when uh, Mr. Gresh has his first baby, or one of you know one of the girls has a baby, or something like that? Like maternity and paternity leave. Um, what if what if what if we all want uh, this 3D scanner, right? Uh, what what if we're planning. For that. Yep. Or
1: a 3D printer. Or
2: a 3D printer. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. Or just, uh, yeah, health and sickness and mul- multiple different things. Um, for the construction side, uh, a construction truck. Yeah, that's a just, van. That's a yeah, great a van, one. you know. Yeah, Yep.
2: So just remember, like, if you, if you want to go back and refer to that article, there's no easy answer. It's good. It's a very tough decision. That's why you're the one, as a CEO or a person who's a business owner, that's why you're the one who... Even though you're eating last, you should eat the most. You're making the toughest the toughest decisions. You're the one having to weigh all of these seven different balls that are going to be thrown in the air. So, check out the article. It's uh it's American Express article actually. Uh, cash flow management. How much cash should you keep in your business? I thought it was I thought it was great.
1: Look at that. Well, speaking of cash, <coughs> I think we have someone who has cash for this next read. Let's listen to Elon for Elon reads.
0: I could really sort of wax on about the nature of money for hours because I played a significant role in creating uh, PayPal. Right. Um, and so my understanding of the, the money system at a fundamental level of how it actually works, the detailed mechanics of it is, I think, there's, there are very few people that understand it better than me. Bitcoin uh, is an interesting example, obviously, the, the prime mover on this. Um, but the transaction volume of Bitcoin is low yeah, uh, and the cost per transaction is high. It is. Uh, at least at its base level uh suitable for maybe an exchange a, a store of value but fundamentally um bitcoin is not uh, a good substitute for transactional currency right um and um even though it was it, it was created as a silly joke dogecoin is uh, better suited for transactions why is that the, the total transaction flow uh that you can do with with um Dogecoin is substantially more than, like transactions per day, is is much higher than, has much higher potential than than Bitcoin. Uh, It is uh, slightly inflationary, um, but that inflationary number is a fixed number as opposed to a percentage. Right. So that means over time, its percentage inflation actually decreases. And that's actually good because it encourages people to spend and rather than sort of hoard it as a store of value.
1: I could wax on. About this. Uh, that's why when people say that Bitcoin is going to replace a dollar. I almost want to say you don't know what Bitcoin is. You know, Bitcoin is digital gold. Like gold is not going to replace a dollar. You're not going to get out gold, break out however much. You're going to store it, use it as a store of value, exchange it for high price down payments or large items. Right. The And the thing that's different about Bitcoin than fiat is that um you can't inflate the money supply where fiat currencies you can. So that's what makes it a good store of value that's an alternate to a physical a- asset. Um so I love that. Uh Doge, I don't know if it's gonna take over or not. Uh but yeah, that's my thoughts on those.
2: Yeah, I just thought it was appropriate that uh we we're talking about money and cash flow and uh and then Elon Musk, uh, his little excerpt again, congratulations to Elon Musk on Times Man of the Year and all that. Oh, but I like, like to- listen to him. Like, Okay, the guy who created PayPal, right? Was there was some idiot on LinkedIn the other day too? I saw in a comment section where they were like, name one thing Elon's done to help humanity. Freaking PayPal. I just could not get over it. So it really points to it, 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 like, how does Elon not understand money? And and what he's saying is, you know, like he could wax on forever about it. Of course, he could. Like he made he he was one of the co-founders and and people that got PayPal off online that's still in working today. Yep. Right. So he know he understands transactions, actions. He understands how money works. He's paid the he's going to pay the biggest tax bill in in history eleven
1: billion dollars. Right? Yeah. Me and Elon combined will pay eleven billion dollars. Uh, that's taxes. what I keep hearing. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought you were going to say. Was congratulations on paying eleven billion dollars. <laughs> right. The, uh I was riding with Gresh to work today, and did you know that Elon? So that eleven billion dollars another good thing that that you could say that what he's done so sls is the alternate launch system to what is now falcon heavy mm-hmm. falcon heavy actually performs better than it sls costs billions and billions and billions and billions like like 5 billion dollars to launch nasa has i think agreed to at least four payments um the falcon heavy which can do just as much or more is like in the hundreds of millions Elon should say, hey, with this 11... It's almost like taking that 11 billion and just handing it to Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and all that stuff. I know. Where he could have said, hey, can I keep this? Who's going to spend it better? Also, I can just save you $11 billion if you just switch your launch contracts to me. Like, I'll literally just... Can I do that? And can that be my $11 billion that I give to you? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's that much of a difference?
2: Yeah. Well, and I think it's a perfect... it's, It's like a... It's a very A to B example you gave because that's, I mean, maybe the $11 would go somewhere else, but like in theory, it could
1: go in the direction you're saying. In theory, he could write a check. They could cast a check and the treasurer could write a check straight to Raytheon, yeah. like his competitors. It'd be like, thank you for that $11 billion. Here's an inferior product that we're giving all those people. That to- takes X to of way much longer
2: to oh, do. and all God. That. Yeah.
1: Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Started in the 90s. Yeah. Still going. It hasn't been launched yet. Sorry. Side note. Awful. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's it. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's. We will see you next year.
2: That's it? You want to end like that? Yeah. Cool. It works for me.